The first lesson is taken from the 19th chapter of Exodus. The Israelites had journeyed from Rephidim and turned the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called him from the mountain saying, thus he shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses came, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. The people all answered as one, everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Here ends the first lesson. We will now read Psalm 100 responsibly by verse. Be joyful in the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with the song. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise, give thanks to him and call upon his name. The second lesson is taken from the fifth chapter of Romans. Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good reason, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here ends the second lesson. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I was ordained in 1980, so call votes seem like a long time ago to me. Don't worry, I'm not going to start talking about my favorite color places I visited, things I know or think I know, important people I may have met or not, my hobbies, and other totally irrelevant stuff like that. For the sermon is not about the one who is preaching. And it is not about entertainment, much as we like that. It is to be for us for the preacher as well, a proclamation of gospel. Whether or not you and I or anyone else want to focus on that right now or at any other time, and whether or not we agree with or like the content of the gospel. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As baby boomers age and retire, the church needs more pastors, even though congregations continue to close as the ELCA continues to shrink and apparently is likely to continue doing that. Ordained in 1980, 
I was educated to do ministry in a Lutheran church that no longer exists. And so for those of us persons who are still working at this, that's an argument for continuing education and for sabbaticals, but that conversation is for another occasion. Maybe your call committee has had that conversation. Our preaching must change for a new moment. Mostly, I think, that means that our preaching must get real. We do not live in a time or even a church of shared values, but rather of conflicting ones. There is little respect for authorities and institutions, including the church. Traditions and norms are cast aside merely because they are traditions and norms. There is little understanding of history, the history of the church, the history of the world, even the history of the United States. Because so much has changed, or at least appears to have changed, there is a sense that if something happened the day before yesterday, it's no longer important. It's no longer relevant. There is little or nothing to encourage reflection. The pace is simply too fast for that. There's great pressure to keep busy. There are so many appointments to keep, so many things to be done. Just don't stand there, do something. Don't be reflective, don't be intellectual, just be street smart. Tell us the truth, but not too much of that. Be smart, but not too smart. There is anxiety, even fear. What will happen next? There is the urgency of, and even the addiction to the phone, which has become one of our most necessary, even prized possessions. But you could have mine if you wanted, because I don't like the thing. Preachers must preach with knowledge and understanding of the real world and how the world we live in came to be the real world. We should have been doing that all along because the gospel of Jesus is always the same and it is always for the real world in every age. But we have too often spoken to congregations as if we were out of touch with reality and as if we were indeed running local social clubs, offering what has been referred to by a few of my colleagues as regular dinner parties, either at the altar or in the church basement or social hall, wherever that may be. And as I say these things to you this morning, I'm not trying to suggest to you that if preachers would preach the way I think they ought to do that, that everything would suddenly be wonderful. That, that people would come, that plates would be full, 
that the church would no longer look old, but rather young. This is not 1958. We're not going back there. We go forward, not knowing. And there are no guarantees. Preaching might be more faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It might be more honest. It would offer no illusory hopes, no guarantees about results that cannot be guaranteed. It might say things we need to hear, even if we don't want to hear them. Supply preachers such as myself would not get out an old one out of the file and use it on every occasion that shows up. The sermon needs to be new every time, every place. And I will tell you from experience, ministry is not fun, even though there is joy in it. And I will tell you from experience that congregations are not happy families, that they are not made up primarily of nuclear families anymore with father, mother, children, maybe two children and a dog. It's not 1958. And I am not becoming a cranky older man. I am not here to lament that things are not like they used to be. I am not here to complain. I am not here to rant and rave about what I don't like in the current world. Some things were better in 1958, but some things are better in 2023. I am here, and you are here, to bear the compassion of Jesus Christ among this little segment of humanity gathered here in and as a congregation along Route 15, and of whom it could be said, as it could be said of people in every time and every place, that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And by that, I don't mean that you have no pastor under call just now, or that Pastor Eckert's interim ministry is somehow lacking. I'm thinking beyond all that. I'm thinking about the situation and condition of humanity on a planet in distress, ecological and otherwise. I'm not being parochial. I'm looking at the big picture and taking a long view. For humanity, this is a new day, yet having a lot of characteristics of the old day. Sometimes the appointed readings in the lectionary leave us wondering after we hear them, where is the good news in all that? Well, that's not the case on this third Sunday after Pentecost. For in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says plainly that the good news is that the kingdom of heaven has come near. I take that to mean near, not here, or now and yet, not yet, or here, but not fully here. I like that last one best, here, but not fully here, because who with straight face 
would call the world as we know it the kingdom of heaven. It's also good news that Matthew could write that Jesus had compassion for them rather than disillusionment and disgust sufficient to reject them. For them will prove to be humanity itself, not merely a small group of groupies or even 144,000 of them, which means that Jesus has compassion for ones who have not received compassion from us. Who might they be? We need to think about that and do some things differently before it's too late for the ELCA and for our personal relationships or even for society in general. It's also good news that Jesus' compassion is such that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Or maybe while humanity was not lovable at all, Jesus loved humanity anyway. And those of you who have loved or who do love ones who are unlovable will understand this. For Jesus loves us overcome as we are by sin and death and evil and unbelief. It is good news that Jesus notices a harvest. And given Jesus' analogy in the text, we might think of a field of standing grain ready to be gathered. But Jesus is thinking of humanity overcome by sin and death and evil and unbelief. The goal, so to speak, is to gather humanity into the very light of the Trinity of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which is a community of love. And Jesus continues to look for ones to work with humanity, ones to be the compassion of Jesus in the real world, where the compassion of Jesus is not violence, or threat, or bullying, or argument, or magnetic personality, or manipulation, or abuse, or spiritual stunt, or cleverness, or bargain. The compassion of Jesus is none of that stuff. The compassion of Jesus is not shooting up the place with a gun. The compassion of Jesus is accompanying humanity, among whom are people we probably don't like and who don't like us. It is walking humbly with humanity in humanity's real world, bearing a cross, a towel, and a basin, and trusting the Holy Spirit to work in God's time, even though humanity's boat appears to be sinking with all aboard right now. The compassion of Jesus is us accompanying humanity, walking with humanity while bearing a towel, a basin, and a cross, trusting God in such a way that we do not need to see immediate, measurable, sustainable results. 
nor to try to force them. You'll remember, maybe, that at age 75, Abram went out having no idea what lay ahead, except a general promise from God, it's all going to be okay. That's, that's kind of what we have, too. It's all going to be okay, but there's no map. It's all going to be okay. Trust the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence those things that do not exist. The compassion of Jesus happens when we are trusting God, not escaping or trying to escape the world and not checking out. You're on a major highway here. You are on the real world. It goes by all the time, both directions. The times we are in are impatient, anxious, even fearful. The gospel is about the compassion of Jesus Christ, who walks with us and urges us to walk with one another, who comes to us while we were still sinners, while we were dying, while we were afflicted by evil, while we are tempted to unbelief. It is a new day, having many characteristics of the old day, and Jesus looks upon humanity with a compassion not to be taken for granted in the real world. Thanks be to God. Amen.